This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Will Kane, S.E. Cup, R. Kane and Cup, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Good Saturday morning to you. I'm Will Kane. I'm S.E. Cup. It's a rainy, rainy Saturday here in New York City. That does not excuse your undershirt. This is not... Oh, I stand corrected. You just turned toward me. It is a collared white t-shirt. With a... With a, with a pocket. I stand corrected. You are not listening to a podcast <laughs> of a radio show from two weeks ago. This is Saturday, October 3rd? I don't know. 4th? They all blend to me. It might be raining outside, but it's sunny here in our studios. SE Cup is making sure we're off to the right foot. <laughs> we have several big questions to ask you this morning. SE, one of my friends in Dallas this week, I was talking to him on the phone, and he said to me this. He said, just, just uh, play this little thought experiment with me. How many people in your town have to be infected with Ebola before you hit to the, head to the hills, mm-hmm. before you leave? Yeah. I mean, he's in Dallas. Yeah, right. He's at one right now. Right, and I live in D.C. There's there's one there. Maybe. Maybe there's one there. But there seriously, what's the number? Yeah. What? How many people in your town need to be confirmed infected with Ebola before you pack up the guns, the truck, the kids, the wife, right. and head for the hills? Right. No, it's a good question. I'll put that question to you a little later in the show. Also, if you went to a sperm bank oh. and said... <laughs> Okay, um, we're covering all the bases. If you if you have <laughs> Ebola, if you went to a sperm bank, <laughs> <laughs> and you said, "Here's what I'd like: like uh, I'd like a double soy latte with a, you have your very specific tailored order for you." You said, "I want I don't know a blonde haired, blue eyed baby," and you came back with an half African American baby. Would it be racist for you to sue the sperm bank for that mistake? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, That's not just in mm-hmm. theory. That's an actual news story from this week. Mm-hmm. We're gonna put that question to you as well at 888-900-3393. But first, it was on September 19th, just a few weeks ago, that a man in Washington, D.C. hopped the outside, fairly low-security wrought iron fence around the White House and made a break for it. And he got pretty far, Essie. Yeah, he, um, as as I've heard now numerous times, got through five rings of security. Right. Five different layers of security were supposed to stop him before he made it all the way to the East Room of the White House. Apparently, it's not hard. They don't even lock the front door. Over a fence. Yeah. Past, I'd say, 50 yards of lawn. Yeah. Through unlocked doors, down the hallway. Past dogs. Past a security guard, a Secret Service officer, and into the East Room. Yeah. Right. Now, the president wasn't there, as you know, but the first family was, apparently. Um, Anyway, this sparked, as you know, this week, an investigation, a congressional hearing into the uh, competence of the Secret Service. President of the United States started the week saying he has great confidence in the Secret Service. That, by the way, not an illustrious list. He has had great confidence in everyone from Kathleen Sebelius to Timothy Geithner to Eric Shinseki. So the president saying he has great confidence, you not um, not a, a great pat on the back. But nonetheless, you started the week. I've got great confidence in the Secret Service. We ended the week with Julia Pearson, the head of Secret Services resignation after those investigations and whistleblowers within the Secret Service revealed there were even more security lapses that we didn't even know about. It's shocking stuff. And frankly, I take no joy 
in watching yet another layer of bureaucracy under this administration crumble. This makes me really sad because this is a this is an elite group of people. They're tasked with a really important job, one of the most important jobs in the country. It makes me sad that things over at Secret Service are in such chaos that we're witness to all of these breaches. I want to bring in a guest. Um, his name is Dan Bongino. If you're a fan of the blaze, I'm sure you've seen him. He's a friend of Glenn's. He comes on a lot to talk to us about these issues. He's a former Secret Service agent, and he's currently running for Maryland's 6th Congressional District uh, for Congress. Uh, Dan, thanks for joining us. Hey, pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Explain to me... I think we can all agree that Julia Pearson's resignation, either for practical or political purposes, was probably the right thing to do. But explain to me what you made as an outsider, former insider, what you made of this week's revelations. Yeah, disturbing to say the least. But uh, for me, it was more surprising. Uh, you know, when I, when I was talking to you this week, uh, Essie, mm-hmm. I think I told you that we were stunned, uh, me and the former agents and some of the active agents I still talk to, shocked that this happened. I mean, to put it in context, and I want to be clear to your audience, I'm not apologizing for the cataclysmic security failures or making excuses. I'm sure. not paid to do that. I just want to put it in context so your audience can, can understand what's going on here. They've had a, a 50-year success record of 100% of mitigating fence jumpers. Uh, Also, I I mean, the fence went up in 1965. Mm -hmm. We've never had anyone get more than 10 yards. And keep in mind, there were fence jumpers, I'm using air quotes, that never even made it to the fence because there were other mechanisms outside the fence, if you get what I mean, that stopped them before they even got there. So it was 100%. Matter of fact, it was something within the Secret Service as agents that, uh, I'll be honest with you, we never even considered um, a huge threat. The plan was so, had so many fail-safes built in. Wait, Dan, so can I just... this happened... Can I stop but, you right there? This is Will. Just, yeah, I want to make sure I understand the fail-safes. You said 100% up to this point, and I think you also said usually tackled or apprehended within 10 yards of the fence. So um, sure. what should have happened? An agent should have been running towards this guy across the lawn? I mean, that's the first fail-safe? Yeah. Well, with... Without giving away all the cookies in the cookie yeah. jar, just a couple of days before, there was a guy, and it's not a joke, it really happened, there was a guy in a Pokemon suit that jumped the fence, <clears throat> excuse me, and made it about 10 yards, 12 yards, what they always do, about the reaction time after everybody calls it out. Uh, and he was put on the floor, and you see, you can you can actually see the pictures if you you know if you Google Pokemon Secret Service, will come right up. There's a SWAT officer sitting right there, mm-hmm. doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Has the man on his knees, has a weapon displayed, telling him don't move. There's another officer. There's a dog there. Uh, there are so many people there, seen, unseen. There are so many technological security measures we've built in that are both seen and unseen to stop them. The fact, uh, uh, guys, that this, this thing all failed at the same time, the only equivalent I could give you in your industry would be like a live radio show going off the air for like an entire day. It doesn't happen. There are right. redundancies built in. Wow. And well, that's so, why everybody's so shocked. Well, so Dan, we're, we're talking to Dan Bongino, former Secret Service agent. Dan, I've heard a lot of explanations for what's going on here. Um, moving Secret Service to, to DHS is, is one um, but anytime I see a group of whistleblowers within an agency or a department 
at the point where they are so frustrated with some of the failures that they feel compelled to speak out when they know life's going to be difficult for them if they do, you know things have reached have reached a, a sort of point of no return. Things have gotten bad. Right. So what's yeah. what's the problem internally that so many folks inside feel that frustrated that they need to start telling secrets, essentially? I'm so glad you brought that up because so many in the media are missing that point, that there was a near mutiny going on in the Secret Service. The agents and the officers at the, you know, the rank and file level, the, the men and women that do the work, were so enraged by this entire failure, how everything happened, how the incompetent management failed to respond, that there were whistleblowers everywhere. The Washington Post probably had 30 people by themselves that were, they felt that they had no one to talk to. And, and really what that was, was that was, they had reached the boiling over point. You know, the, the boiling milk was spilling out of the pot mm. because they felt like they didn't have an ombudsman. They couldn't talk to management. Management was detached. Their loyalties were to DHS and to the White House staff. And, and that's, a, that's a great point because a lot of folks in the media miss that. Well, Why are this, all these people randomly appearing? Yeah. Is, this, is this incident, Dan, an example of, of why that mutiny might be occurring? So in other words, you, I think when you said this is the equivalent in your industry of, of a live radio channel going off the air for a day is extremely illustrative. So what I don't – what failed here? I mean, why did an officer not go running towards this guy on the White House lawn? Why did the technolo- technological uh, fail safes you talked about? I don't know if that's what was right. invisible. Why was the door what, unlocked? Why did Where were things, the dogs? Right. Why did they all right. fail? Well, here's my uh, here's my background on this and what I think happened. There was a departure on the South Lawn 10 minutes prior with the president. You guys have probably seen him or been there. Mm-hmm. It's always like herding cats after that happens. The president and his family left to go to Camp David. You get the press out there. You have the public that view it. Uh, there's always a little bit of radio chaos. They were getting people back inside. Again, not an excuse, just some context. You combine that with the fact that the uniform division, because remember, the guys on the North Lawn and the women on the North Lawn were not agents. There were no, contrary to the reporting on this, some of which has been terrible, there were no agents involved in this at all. They were all uniformed division officers. So you combine the departure with the fact that there was a U.N. General Assembly going on in New York, a planning session, where all of the senior uniformed division people were probably up in New York operating magnetometers. They had junior people at the White House. You yeah. had the guy at the front door who has his, his pistol out. That guy had po- supposedly had six months on the job. Uh, he's the one who left the door unlocked. Uh, I, I mean, again, I'm, it was a huge failure. But Just it, a perfect storm of failures. Right, uh-huh. right. And if you don't diagnose it right, you're going to treat the wrong disease. Interesting. Dan, can I ask you, this is going to be shifting gears just a little bit here, and I'm going sure. to, I don't want to put you in an awkward position, but of course we're talking about different things going on in the Secret Service, and I, I, I can't help but think back to the stories a few years ago, of, uh, what was it, Columbia and a couple other places. Right. Oh yeah, Cartagena. Uh, um, <laughs> here's what I want to ask you, and we'll talk about elected officials. You don't have to give me a name, and you don't have to describe an incident. But on a scale from 1 to 10, 10 being the most eye-opening and inappropriate thing you've ever seen an elected official do, and 1 being, that's just, uh, that's just good behavior, what's the worst thing you've seen? Just give me the number. Where would you have graded it, seeing uh, an elected official? Probably uh, 
I mean, it, it, it's usually like, it, it's usually one of those moments. I'll be honest, I haven't seen anything like, you remember Bruce Willis in The Last Boy Scout? Like he's sitting outside the door and a guy's like beating up a woman or something. Right. There's never anything like that that I've seen. But I got to tell you, Affairs? there are some moments where you're like, oh my God, oh boy, Captain Uncomfortable or what? Like they say things to people and you're like, did he just say that? It's just amazing. You're floored. I mean, it's some of them. <laughs> It's kind of funny. Like, so I used to be a transportation guy, so I would do the driving and the motorcade planning. And they'll get back in the car sometimes, and they'll shake someone's hand. They'll get back in the car, and be like, "What a jerk!" <laughs> <laughs> Can you do that. Well, what, what percentage of the job? Break this down. What percentage is physically protecting the president versus the percentage that is protecting the president from himself? What? Well, Jeez, probably like 99% protected. You know, it was up. They have no idea. If it was up to them, they just plunge themselves into the crowd and be like, hey, vote for me, President Joe Blow. I mean, they have no idea the threat. It, and talking to like the 18 year old bow tie wearing staffer who swears he knows everything about security with you is the most humiliating thing in the world. Like, the Secret Service agents are largely like lawyers, graduate degree holders who've had five to 10 years of experience. Right. You're negotiating with a kid who, who's like clearing up his acne his dad was a huge donor and he's swearing to you like no no listen brother this is how security goes down and you're like i can't believe i'm dealing with this moron That's amazing. i want to believe you're a truth teller dan That's amazing I, if the worst you've seen is just a little bad comment i am very proud of our politicians <laughs> i have to guess there's worse that you've seen <laughs> They're pretty restrained, and uh, I'll tell you what, having a bird's-eye view is uh, pretty illuminating on how bad D.C. really is. Well, they're probably just on their best behavior for you, Dan, because who would want to let you down? <laughs> oh, gosh. I tell you, they look at me, and they're probably like, how am I surrounded by these morons? <laughs> there was that old story about Al Gore telling his kid, like, uh, his kid had just failed a test. This is a famous story in the Secret Service. No one knows if it's true or not, oh. but he's on the phone with him and says, hey, listen, you better... Uh, you better pass that test. You don't want to grow up like these guys protecting me here. And everybody's like, oh. you know, we're still here. Oh, my, we're right here. <laughs> right. Can you just wait till we leave? Can you let me put in, like, my earbuds so I don't that hear it? That sounds like Al Gore. That sounds like Al Gore. I don't think they respect us. All right. Oh, well, that's well we shame. do, Dan. We appreciate we and respect the time you gave us this morning. Oh, you got it. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Dan. Take care. That's Dan Bongino, former Secret Service agent. Uh, when we come back, let's talk about one of those families yeah. that these Secret Service agents have spent some time protecting. Oh, good. That next on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. And Cup. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. So for the next half hour, I want you to brace yourselves. We're going to talk a lot about babies for the next half hour in different in different aspects. Right, in different so, aspects, uh, like totally different aspects. Right, but it's it's a bit of a baby block. In in this business, um, segments and television and radio well, are called blocks. Don't scare off all the dudes listening. Like I didn't. Sign up here to go to mommyandme.com. It's not going to be mommy and me or like touchy-feely. But the next block is going to be, it's a bit of a baby block. We're going to talk about sperm banks, so stick around. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you have to. 
<laughs> does that does that win male yeah. viewers yeah. listeners? Yeah. They want it. They want to hear about sperm banks. Shh. I'm talking to the dudes here. Oh, okay. Uh, before we get to sperm banks, uh, the first, the former first family, the Clintons, made the news this week because Chelsea had her baby, uh, baby Charlotte. I'm sure everyone heard about it because it was everywhere, which I think answers the question. If anyone had any um, questions about whether this was going to happen or not, will the Clintons exploit their grandchild for political gain heading into 2016? That was a legitimate question when Chelsea announced she was pregnant. A lot of people asked, "Okay, is Hillary going to, you know, use this to sort of soften her image? And um, people said that this this was going to humanize Hillary Clinton. Like we'd we'd learn about Hillary and we'd see a side of Hillary that we'd not yet seen as if over 30 years there was a side of Hillary we haven't seen. Right. Well, I As did if see, I did see that what CNN's Aaron Burnett asked was it he she asked Bill Clinton yeah are you gonna baby proof you're gonna have to baby proof the White House right right All kinds of assumptions baked into that question it's an amazing that was an amazing question I also heard during that same interview Bill Clinton say basically he was so excited for the birth of the baby he, he felt like he was in labor himself you take particular offense of that is right now <laughs> weird that is weird we're gonna get into rules. About how to talk to pregnant people later in this hour. Because that is not cool, Bill Clinton. Not cool. But, um, yeah. In case anyone was wondering if they were going to exploit this grandchild, I have the answer. Yes, they are. 100% yes, they are. Uh, and look, hey, I don't begrudge. You do what you gotta do. Politics is a dirty game. If you think that this baby's gonna boost your, um, appeal around the country, then have at it. But we got definitive proof. And it came when Chelsea Clinton emerged from Lenox Hill Hospital. I'm looking at a news report, and news is in air quotes, because this is from eentertainment.com. Chelsea Clinton channels Kate Middleton as she leaves hospital holding baby Charlotte. Take a look! Exclamation point! And here is Chelsea, all, you know, dolled up, with her husband, Mark Mazvinsky, and um, Bill and Hillary, posing like the royal family outside of the hospital. With the baby for a swarm of paparazzi. Well, let me ask you this: What's the line in your estimation? You are our storyteller, SE Cup, because you're going to be facing, to some extent, a similar question for yourself. No. Well, will you share anything with your child? I already have. So, uh, like Instagram, Twitter. Oh, well, um, sure. Sure, so but what's I'm the line? Uh, because well, first of all, I am not Chelsea Clinton. My parents are not running for president. My 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 dad wasn't the president. My mom isn't contemplating a run for president. But they but they're they're massive public figures that know when they walk out of that door there'll be people waiting with cameras, right? Yeah, I, I Bill and Hillary don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. This is Chelsea's baby. Um, when Kate Middleton came out of the hospital, she came out with her husband. The the king and queen weren't there, or you know Prince Charles and Camilla weren't weren't there. Um, they want to be a part of this. 30 minutes later, they, they tweet, Bill Clinton and I are over the moon to be grandparents. One of the happiest moments of our life. Charlotte, your grandmother, Hillary Clinton, and I couldn't be happier. At Hillary Clinton, at Bill Clinton. Look, that's great. They're allowed to be um, proud grandparents. But there's a way to um, 
there's a way to protect this kid if they wanted to. They're not. They're not interested in that. That's fine. I want to explore that way. Can we keep this going just for a minute more when we Absolutely. come back? Absolutely. All right. When we come back on Cannon Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Cane and Cup. Just before the break, we started to get into a little bit of a debate um, over how much to share of your children, really. I mean, the question is, have Bill and Hillary Clinton already begun to exploit Hillary, uh, Chelsea Clinton's yes. baby? Yeah, you definitively said yes. yes. And I responded with that to that with, well, what is the line? They're public figures. Um, the knowledge, the information, the images of the grandchild will be seen, be out there. And I put this to Only you. Only if they want them to be. Have you seen Jenna Hagar Bush's, Jenna Bush Hagar's daughter? No. So fair point. But do you know I, what? Do you know what her kids look like? No, I, yeah. I haven't seen Chelsea's either yet. But but I know I I, I, I But the point is taken. Uh-huh. But I put it to you uh-huh. because you're a public figure. Uh-huh. You are two months away. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. What will you share? What will you share of your? Yeah, yet but to be Chelsea's born child? allowed to share whatever she wants. So you think it's all about the grandchild? I have heard nothing from Chelsea. Except after after uh, Charlotte was born, she um, put out a statement. We're thrilled, and that's the right thing to do. Everything I've heard have been from her parents, and whether it's you know Hillary on her book tour or Bill Clinton at CGI or either of them in interviews, this kid is brought up all the time. Yeah, but and if they really wanted to make this about Chelsea and keep it private, you know, we're just not talking about it. The kid's not even born yet. We're thrilled. Move on. But when you there's say a way the same to do thing, that, they don't want to. Wouldn't you have said the same thing about Tom and Tom Cruise and, and Katie Holmes? Were they exploiting Surrey with all the pictures that were sold? I think they did, right? I, all these celebrity couples seem to arrive at this moment where do we yeah. give the baby pictures to people? Yeah. And then the question is, are they exploiting the baby? Uh huh. So it's not just about the grandchild, child. The 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 idea of exploiting the baby for whatever. Fame, anyone can do game. it. I don't see Chelsea exploiting her kid. But Chelsea's not running for office. And maybe as Hillary's campaign winds up, Chelsea will start exploiting her child for, for her mom's benefit. I don't know. I guess I'm asking what's the difference? Where's the line between sharing and exploiting? exploiting? Look, Chelsea's allowed to be a proud mom. And, and Bill and Hillary are allowed to be proud grandparents. I think the fact that they are contemplating a run, they're... um you know, politically putting themselves out there. They're doing a, a lot of public speaking. And the fact that they're talking about this kid who prior to this week wasn't even born at every opportunity they get, it makes me a little uncomfortable. It's mm-hmm. a little unseemly. I think there's a way to have a sort of dignified, protected, um, you know, relationship with this kid that um, they've decided to kind of abandon. And I just think the line is hard to. It's it's not a bright. It's not line. a firm line. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. And it's one that I've struggled we'll with. I see. have children, and I have been like, do I include my? I've never tweeted a picture of my children that I'm aware of. Facebook is this weird gray area where some people are friends and some yeah, people are right. I've never met. So it's it's a constantly like gray area. How much to share, and yeah. and why am I sharing it? Sure, I, absolutely. I mean. 
look, I've I've talked about my pregnancy. I've written about my pregnancy. I've done it in a way that I'm comfortable with. Right. I've shared only what I'm comfortable sharing. Yeah, and you know I've there shared are things a lot. I won't either. Right. right. And I know there are things about your family that you wouldn't share. But we talk about these things because part of our job is to talk about our lives. Right. That's a. B. I think we're proud. You know, and and we want to sort of share these stories or share some pictures, um, share these moments from our life. And if there's a part subconsciously of us that knows that maybe opening up about our private life is is good for, you know, good for audiences. I I don't know. That would it would be subconscious because I really just don't I don't think that way. I think the Clintons do. I think the Clintons do. Well, since you have all the answers, you also have some rules for us on what is it? I have all the answers. Yeah. I have some pregnancy rules. I found, because, you know, I've complained to you about the way people look and talk to pregnant people, meaning me, um, over the past seven months. I was walking down the street with my husband the other other day. I don't know if I told you this. Walking down the street, um, we're, we're just going, like, into town, and a woman is walking toward us. And she sees me, sees my baby bump, smiles, and does like a sympathetic head tilt. Sweet. No, that is weird. No. Why does she get, frankly, emotional looking at my pregnant belly? I That never happened to me. Well, when I wasn't pregnant, if I looked at people who were pregnant... First of all, I barely noticed them. Second, I probably walked away in disdain. And of course, the way you acted is what you would define as appropriate. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. But it wouldn't it wouldn't make me like emotionally connected to this person. What would make you emotionally connected to another person? <laughs> Very little. Very little. No, I just think it's all bizarre. We've talked about this. People wanting to know when are you due? What's the name of the Did baby? Did you write these rules? Are these no. your Okay, good. No. Good. <laughs> My rules would be like boot camp. I mean, they'd be they'd be difficult to follow. I found these rules on a blog called Baby Bump Talk. Oh boy, the pregnant woman's place to vent. This hour is turning into exactly what I feared. It's amazing, amazing. Um, there's a bunch of rules. I'm going to read some of the best ones for our listeners okay. in case you come in contact with a pregnant person. I think these are some really good rules to live by. Number one. Don't ask a pregnant woman if she's having twins. Yeah, that seems intuitive. <laughs> it seems intuitive. But remember, listeners and Will Kane, I told you the story of my friend Anna who was working out at her gym and her trainer asked, are you having twins? Right. That's a true story. That happened and her trainer was a woman. It was a woman asking. So I'm not going to put the, uh, this above Because anybody. what? The translation is, wow, you're large? Yes. Okay. That is the translation. Right. Why not just say that? So don't ask if you're having twins. That's te- that's that's just terrible, but it happens. Don't try to guess how much weight a pregnant woman has gained. Again, intuitive. No, it's not. You would think. Maybe, Will Kane, you... What are you looking at? 40, 40, 45? Yeah, yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't attempt anything around that. Uh, and also, I'm adding this addendum to that. Don't be like, oh, but you've only gained it in your face. <laughs> Or you've only gained it in your in your boobs. I don't want to hear it. All right. Keep your opinion on my weight to yourself. I'm two for two. I'm good. I'm You're good? good? Okay. Um, don't try to guess the gender of the baby. 
Yeah, that well, first of all, I reject that one largely because it just seems so wives taily. You're carrying it, it is. high. It is. You're carrying it low. Right. It's a boy. It's a girl. It's a. You don't know. Because every pregnant woman is told that girls carry wide. Why? See, I, mean, I don't even know this. Carry and, wide. Yeah, and boys carry Straight in out. front. Okay, I so, thought it was a height thing too. No. There might be one of those too, but essentially, if you guess. I bet you're having a girl. A girl thinks, oh, you're looking at my fat ass. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're, you're calling me fat. You're calling me fat. So don't try it. Right. It might mean nothing to you guys, but we interpret this in a, a very critical way. Next question. And I, and I just alluded to this. Don't ask a pregnant woman what she's naming the child. That is none of your business, frankly. Well, everyone who's had a baby knows that you do not share with other people what you're considering because it opens you up to feedback that you do not want. Yeah, so, well, yeah there's so that. What, but, what name but are you also, considering? Well, we're considering John. We're considering Will. We're considering Mark. Well, don't go with Will. That is a terrible name. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. Or, you know, I like, I like Mark. Well, then you know that you don't like John or Will. Yeah, well, thanks when we go with John. Right, right. No, but that's one part of it. Also, I just feel like it's invasive. Like, that's that's my family's business. Um, Check out guy at Whole Foods. No, I I have uh, have violated this one. You're a total stranger. I'm not going to tell a total stranger what I'm naming my child. I've asked you. You're not a total stranger. So it's a total stranger rule on this one. Yes, these are rules for total strangers. I have told my oh. friends and family what we're naming our child, and, and that's all fine. I don't you're think those are rules for total strangers. Those stranger. first two, even if you're inside the circle of trust, are bad things to say. How much weight have you gained? But particularly you bad if you're twins? outside the circle of trust. Yes. Trainer or checkout guy at Whole Foods. Both two real scenarios. <laughs> uh, finally, don't tell a pregnant woman she looks good with more weight in X area. Well, you look good. You know, you're, 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 you got some junk in your trunk. That looks good now. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your opinions of my physical appearance to yourself. This is finally a list of things you can say to pregnant women. Congratulations. Okay. Right, that, and thus concludes That's the it. list. That's it. <laughs> All right. Thank All you. right. In thank st- you. Thank you for the rules. In sticking with the theme of babies, um, Let's. I put the question to you earlier in the show. I'm serious. 888-900-3393. If you went to a sperm bank expecting a certain outcome and you received quite another outcome, are you racist? Oh, okay. <laughs> that when we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Listening to Kane and Cup. If you delve into the comment section, which is always a bad idea to do, beneath the articles that tell the story I'm about to tell you, it's amazing the divide you will find. You'll, it's amazing how the opinions split pretty clearly into into two camps. Um, two Ohio women, a lesbian couple, decided that they were going to have babies 
together at the same time. They go to a sperm bank and and get a sample. Specifically sample 380, they think. Um at about five months pregnant, one of the two women says, we wanted to get a little more information on, on the, uh, the donor, the father, that we requested. It was, um, it was sample number 380, and the sperm bank donor worker said, oh, I'm sorry, I think you mean 330. No, no, we said 380. It says here in your file, 330. No, we said three, 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 380. And then the worker at the sperm bank clinic says, you ordered the African-American guy, right? Mm. No, responded the lesbian couple. No, no, we did not. No. We we ordered the, I'm serious about this, I'm quoting from the article, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed donor because it matches the- Because we're white. Well, and we are blonde-haired, blue-eyed. Because we're white, right. We wanted the baby right. to look like her. Right. I, um, at that point, uh, reportedly, the sperm bank- stops talking to the couple. They were refunded the cost of their donation. Oh, good. <laughs> um, and this Ohio couple has sued the sperm bank for wrongful birth. Their argument, and they now have two-year-old Peyton. Mixed race Peyton is their daughter, who they love. And uh, Have you seen pictures? She is adorable. And by uh, all accounts, there's no attempt to return Peyton. Or no, no, no. They want Peyton. Put her up they for want adoption. Peyton. Right. Yeah, they're going to keep Peyton. But they're suing the sperm bank for wrongful birth, suggesting that they live in a town that is 98% white. They're afraid for their daughter that she will feel ostracized, that she um, will be stigmatized. And they are suing for the cost of relocating to a more diverse town, and they're suing for the cost of counseling. They're suggesting things um, like the following. This is a quote from one of the two Ohio mothers. There are things I don't feel I have the background to even know. It is things we have to go out and research and talk to people and figure out how to do as simple as a daily chore of doing your hair. Now, this idea of a lawsuit over the mixed-up sperm donation, I'm telling you, as he has completely divided people, if you again read the comment section, which hmm. is always, again, a bad idea to do. <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Um, but on one hand, you have people saying, look, they, they attempted to purchase one thing and were sold another thing. Yeah, they got the wrong thing. Clearly a mix-up. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, there's people saying, suck it up. Be a parent. But they are being parents. And this is racist for you to suggest you somehow got an inferior product. Hmm. Well, they're not suggesting they got an inferior product. They're suggesting they got the wrong product. And what I liked about what this woman said was, this company needs to be held accountable. Let's say, let's say for argument's sake... They um, they had applied for a white child. They got a black child, but they happened to live in an African-American neighborhood. There was no undue hardship because they had a, a black child now. In fact, the black child fit in a lot better in this neighborhood and their lives were easy. They still have a lawsuit. This company needs to be held accountable for making a mistake. Right. And it's a significant mistake. I don't care that, uh, you know... It's over race. If it were over anything, um, you know, it's such a sensitive business. And I have problems with this business to begin with. Um, if you suggest, by the way, sort of, you know, genetic engineering and I want this kind of kid and I want that. Kind of, I, I have problems with well, that to begin with. But anyway, this company provided a service 
and they provided it badly. But you say it has nothing to do with race, and I think you bring up an interesting point. I'm saying it can. Those it, people, it doesn't have to do with race. Those that say it's racist for these two women to say, you know, it's wrong that we got a black baby when we requested a white baby, have to answer the question, is it racist in the first place to even request a certain race? You talked about engineering it. If if it, it can't, it has to be both. You see what I'm saying? They well, have- I bet certain people would say that it is racist to requ- request a certain race, but I, I don't believe that. I mean, I, if if I were if I were adopting a child or if I were um, going through this kind of process. I think it's totally understandable that you'd want a child that looked like you. Yeah, I don't think many people I see would say it's racist to to select the race of your sperm bank donor. So if it's not racist at that step, why is it racist later? It can't. You, you know, you see, what I'm saying it can't be. I do. There's two issues here, and, and let's keep keep talking about this. But okay, there's and I'd two, love to hear from the audience. There's yeah. Two, yeah, me too. There's two issues here. There's the race issue, but also just I got the wrong thing. Right. Right. And holding a company accountable for making a huge mistake. All right, we'll be back on Canning Cup. We hope you join the conversation. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to Candy Cup. I'm Will Kane. I'm Essie Cup. We're going to get to Ebola in just a moment. Oh, good. Can Essie panic? She's been waiting to panic. She wants to panic. <laughs> She's ready to panic. Is she allowed to panic yet? We want to ask you, how many people in your town have to be infected with Ebola before you head for the hills? But first, we're talking about this Ohio couple who went to a sperm bank Um Requesting a certain donor semen, sample 380, thinking they were getting a blonde-haired, blue-eyed father, and in fact, they ended up getting a, an African-American donor, sample 330. So their daughter is a mixed-race daughter. They're suing the sperm bank for essentially wrongful birth, suggesting that they're going to need to pay for things such as counseling and relocating to a more racially diverse town. It should be noted, the couple loves and wants to keep their daughter. There is no effort to suggest they have been uh they they want to return her <laughs> no put her up for adoption but they feel like they got something they didn't buy and it comes with i don't know if hardships are the right word se i guess it is hardships I, but see i think that's almost like a red herring it, even if it doesn't come with hardships right you you didn't get the service you paid for and again i'll say this i'm uncomfortable with the whole idea of treating you know, parenting and childbirth like a service where you get to go in and pick out the kind of kid you want. I'm uncomfortable with that, but that's a completely separate debate. This is the world we live in, and this is what these people did. And I think they're absolutely right to demand accountability. And I actually think this is really brave of this woman to come out because she had to know that in suing this company and telling her story, people were going to accuse her of being racist, which is as exactly, they have. Which is exactly what happened. Wh- which they have. She had to know that. She had to know that she was going to end up looking ungrateful and racist 
for suing this company. I think it's really brave because this company can't do this again. This company has to be held accountable. And it's not just a matter of returning their money. Those that see something despicable in this make three arguments. I think one of them, by the way, holds some merit. One, they say it's racist. Um, You are, by implication, suggesting you got an inferior product. Would it be racist if a black couple sued for getting a white kid? I think your point is well taken. Would it be, would it be, you and I just discussed this during the break, would it be if you requested and you can screen for these things, IQ levels, education levels for the father, if you got something set, you know, much lower, would you be The problem a- is you wouldn't know, right? You probably wouldn't know until much later, if ever. But but when but it comes to race- you know you know if you called and said, give me more information on sample 380. And I guess say, you, you could. We gave you 330. He was a- You'd have to have a suspicion, Middle school though. dropout. You'd have to have a suspicion. They only knew because they saw their child- Right. And they could tell immediately. So one is the implication they're racist. Two is that their hardships they're claiming are ridiculous. I've read the comments on this when she talks about simple ideas like how to do hair. I have friends who have adopted children from various races. These are real issues. Like It's not necessarily, oh, that makes your life so hard. It's just something you must take into account, like certain ability to identify, to understand these are real issues that people in the real world uh, talk about and debate and, and, and figure out how to cope with. Liberals it. tell me all the time that it's it's very complicated either being a mixed race person or being a minority. They right. tell me all the time it's complicated. OK, I'm taking you at your word that it's complicated. So I bet if you're um, two white parents with a mixed race child, your life is a little complicated. Right. I'm told by the left that it would be. But apparently when these people say that it's complicated, they're racist for acknowledging that. I think the third point that the critics of this make, the one that does hold some water legitimacy, is that you might be doing more damage to your daughter right now with this lawsuit than if you just moved on with life. And I do think it's a little awkward for the daughter at some point to realize your parents sued over the racial makeup that you are. It would all depend on the parents, and everything I've I've heard these parents say is that they're they're so lucky that this child makes them who they are. That um you know that they they wouldn't they wouldn't you know turn her turn her in or return her for for anything. I bet this kid's going to grow up really loved, and probably this will have to be explained later in life. But again, this was a huge risk that they took on, and I think it was the right thing to do. Mark and Marilyn. What do you say, Mark? Well, I understand, uh, Will, that uh, you're an attorney. I am. I am. True. Okay. Think back to contract law. Way back. Year one. (laughs) Law school. It wasn't that long ago, Mark. He's not that old. (laughs) Uh, Well, you got to think. That's when it usually starts. Uh, Watch the movie Paper Chase. But anyway... Uh, the party of the first part comes in to purchase a certain given product or service. The party of the second part then says, yes, I can provide that product or service, but then turns around, messes up the product or service, it unduly injures, you know, in one way or another, the party of the first part. The party of the first part has the right to sue. So... And... So that we can, you know, that they could turn around and make sure that that company, you know, checks their paperwork, does their job, and so they can fulfill their contract. And doesn't so make that mistake again. That, so right. without going too deep into the legal weeds, you're right, Mark, to this extent. So 
the simple um, the simple breaking of a contract, not delivering on the good that you purchased, the remedy for that would be exactly what happened. Get the fee back for the donor, and right. you would the- theoretically be made whole, and that would be the end of the argument. But you said the key word you used, which advances this to the hairy part of the debate, is injured, right? Well, the damages. Was one, you, you have to prove damages right. because – Simply getting something you didn't pay for can be made whole right. by having your purchase price returned. But there's to. damages here. That's the hairy part of the debate, discussing the damages. Right, right, right. Thanks, Mark, for calling in. I think, I think um, it's a complicated scenario. There's a lot of competing factors here. There's a social, you know, construct and a cultural construct. There's the simple contract part of this, the legal aspect of this. Um, there's the political backlash aspect yeah. to this. But uh, it's a really – it's an interesting story. I bet it's not the first or last time that this happens either. So I asked you a little earlier in the show, SE, and for you, I'm afraid the answer is going to be a very low threshold. How many people in your town – Yeah. you listening, Yeah. us here in New York, she, SE in D.C. Yeah. – have to be infected with Ebola before you go, that's too many. Uh-huh. I'm heading out of town. Can I put I, – I, I'm going to put mine at five. Five, five people. people. So five in people. Washington, D.C., if five people get infected with Ebola – you take the husband, the car, the canned goods, and head out, and the unborn baby, and move out. Yeah, we're going. We're going out into the woods. We already actually have a cabin picked out. We've talked to. You've two had this of, discussion. One hundred percent. We talked to two of our couple friends who are going to come with us, and uh, so we're going to have six people in a cabin just until this blows over. That's risky, by the way. You need to screen those friends. Yeah, um, that's true. A friend of mine in Dallas put this question to me. He's in Dallas where the one confirmed diagnosis of Ebola in the United States occurred. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was joking. He wasn't joking. And he said, if you think I'm joking, ask yourself this. If a thousand people in your town had Ebola, would you leave? And that's the number he put on Dallas. If a thousand oh. people in Dallas have Ebola, he's gone. That's way too many. He's going to he's going to Idaho. That's a good choice. Um, a thousand's way too many. That's crazy. That's that's a that's a full on outbreak. I mean, that's like the movie. Well, and the, to support your argument, that's like zombies. In it the doesn't street. go. It doesn't go a thousand, a thousand one, mm-hmm. a thousand two. It goes a thousand, five thousand, twenty five thousand. Like that's right. That. It goes like two, four, ten, fifty. Right. That being said, Ebola isn't an airborne 1995 Dustin Hoffman starring Stop outbreak movie. Stop trying to calm me it's down. It's not <laughs> Matt Damon contagion. It is transferred through body fluids. I tell you what we should do. This is fun. We're going to continue this. Let's bring in an expert as we want to do from time to time. Let's bring in a doctor when we come back from break. Let's okay. take a quick break. Bring in a doctor on just wonder what the doctor thinks. Yeah. Can I freak out now? What's his number? What's his number? Okay, good. <laughs> when we come back on Kane and Cup. Will Kane and Desi Cup. We'll continue in a moment on the Blaze Radio Network. on the Blaze Radio Network. So, talking about Ebola, which is not quite the outbreak here that it is in West Africa, luckily. But I'm already freaked out. And, and I really resent folks like you, Will Kane, 
trying to calm me down and call me an alarmist because I'm I'm a little nervous about Ebola here in the United States. First of all, this disease looks terrible. It doesn't look fun at all. Um, it, it looks like a particularly gruesome way to die. And entrusting our health to multiple government bureaucracies and the CDC seems like a bad idea. The CDC, same CDC, let me remind everyone, same CDC that a couple months ago was found to have like deadly strains of the flu stored in Ziploc bags, like the kinds of Ziploc bags I have in my kitchen. That's not protocol. Um, I'm supposed to just, I'm just, trust, trust, trust this, these guys, trust these guys. These guys will take care of it. Who else will take care of it? FEMA and DHS and multiple, multiple government bureaucracies because they're great at fixing stuff. Mm-hmm. They're great. I totally trust the IRS or the VA or HHS or DOJ. I totally trust these guys. Um, so I'm I'm a little I, I resent just a little your attempts to calm me down. I'm panicked. I'm already there. I'm panicked. Luckily, some artists out of West Africa have figured out a way to alleviate our fears and prevent the spread of this disease. Let's play let's play the song. That is Ebola in town. Did he say don't judge a friend? No, don't touch a friend. Oh, don't touch a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Also, no eating something. It's dangerous. Um, Eating something is a reference to sex, apparently. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what I thought. It's a rap. It's a rap. It's a rap song, okay? It's a rap song out of West Africa. Uh, It's huge on the dance floors. Got a hat tip this to my friend John Justice in Tucson who who told me about this song, which is amazing. Um, it's basically like a PSA for West Africa. They've released this song about a month ago. Um, sorry, a few months ago to warn of the dangers of Ebola because a lot of these people over there, like they're suspicious of medicine, mm-hmm. right? They don't, um, you know, there's not the kind of literacy and education there that we have here. So this was one way they are getting people to take this seriously. And the lyrics are Ebola in town. Don't touch your friend. No, eat something. It's dangerous. It's, I mean, words to live by. Ebola in town. Don't touch your friend. Don't touch him. At least, at least someone's doing something about this. You know, we were scheduled, um, Essie, to have an expert. Yeah, we were supposed to have a doctor. Where'd the doctor, doctor go? Doctor answers questions for us. He hasn't shown up. So, um, uh, I'm yet another, yet another, yet another reason why I'm panicked. Yet another victim of Ebola. <laughs> oh God, I hope not. I hope not. No, um, but yet another, another letdown. But I'm gonna you tell you can't what I'm trust gonna do. anyone except yourself and me, Will Kane. So I'll tell you what you. I'm going to do. Essie. I'm going to be the expert. You're telling me not to worry. Uh, I'm being. I don't know. Bruce Weinman on Twitter, who's an OBGYN, is saying, with my vast medical knowledge, suggesting, Yours? yeah, oh, I guess I've made several affirmative statements about how it can and cannot pass, and how it how it multiplies. Among yeah, the you population. seem to know something. Um, so I will allow you now to ask questions of me. 
Oh, okay. And I will tell you. Well, here's what I'm here's what I'm mostly concerned about. All right. Thank you. You can have Ebola and board a plane. Correct. Yeah. That's terrifying. So here is what the doctors are saying. And I'm being serious now. Right? You actually you have Ebola. I, I interviewed a doctor this week and I said the same thing. And I but instead of have Ebola, I used the word sick. And he said, Well, technically, you're not sick until you're showing symptoms. Right. That you have a a potentially 21-day incubation period where, in your terms, you have Ebola, yeah. but you're not sick. Yeah. And you're not, you're not contagious. Uh-huh. This is what they're suggesting. You're not contagious until you are sick, which means you're right. symptomatic. Right. So That's if you're on the plane and not showing symptoms, you're not contagious. This is what we're hearing. Yes, like this Dallas guy. Right. This Dallas guy got on the plane with Ebola. Okay? He didn't get it here. Mm-hmm. Got it in Africa. Got Ebola in Africa. Mm-hmm. Got on a plane. He had Ebola. He wasn't symptomatic yet, so he wasn't showing signs of being sick. That's right. And he wasn't contagious. I'm not worried about the people on the plane. I'm worried about the fact that he got on a plane with Ebola and brought Ebola in a bag that is his body to this country. Yeah, but... but- and then spent time with five children. Right. At different schools and talked to all kinds of people. So... We're also hearing it's contagious through body fluids, blood, saliva. I'm familiar with the fluids. Oh, I was going to go through all of them. Don't. Well, yeah, I should because I asked the doctor, does that include sweat? Because it occurs to me now body-to-body contact. Is yeah. that some potentially a contagious thing? He said he thinks sweat is a conduit. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you heard uh, one of the people living in this house in Dallas was saying they haven't even changed his sweaty sheets yet. That the CDC hasn't come in and, like, changed his sheets. And his sweaty sheets are still in the house. I'm not supposed to panic, though. How many people do you think, is it is it conceivable, would come over to this country? Because we all know this is the honor system, right? He's over in Liberia. It's the honor system. How are you feeling before you get on a plane? That's it. How are you feeling today? Well, I'm feeling great. All clear. You only get checked if you say, well, I have a fever or I, you know, I haven't been feeling well. Well, let me take your temperature. You're not showing any signs. Get on the plane. Here's my here. Here's the thing. So so conceivably, hundreds of people could come over with Ebola. We don't know that they have Ebola because they're not symptomatic until they get here. Here's the thing. Your instinct, your gut is you want to panic. You are looking for the reason to don't lie. You want to panic. And mine is not to panic. Okay, mine is. I don't see the reason to panic. And here's here, – let me tell you where I'm coming from on this, all right? Is there – very rarely is the threat you anticipate the threat that is come, the one coming for you. You see what I'm saying? Ebola is scary, A, because of the movies, B, because of the book, The Hot Zone, and C, because it's so awful visually yeah, in the way awful. it kills you. It yeah. has a high mortality rate yeah. and a low transmission rate. The and really, a high ick factor. The really, and a high ick factor. The really ones you should be scared of are the ones that have a low mortality rate, high transition rate. Yeah. Uh, tra- so, transmission rate. Yeah. The flu. Sure. Right? Yeah. We Oh, the flu. That sounds so terrible. Did you miss some work for the flu? Uh-huh. The flu kills so many people. Coming out of World War One, we did this story the other night on Real News. 50 to 100 million people died of the Spanish flu. Way more than died in actual combat in World War One. Those kind of, and by the way, that's way less than the people that get the flu, right? It's easy to get the flu, hard to die from the flu, but you add that up, yeah. and a lot of people die from the flu. Dr. Will, I am not 
arguing with your logic. Bleeding out of your eyes by Ebola, not likely. I am not arguing with your logic. Science. (laughs) But at the same time, at the same time, I wouldn't mind some flight restrictions. I I wouldn't mind, like, sorry, if, if, if you're from Liberia, you can't come over here right now. Do you remember a couple weeks ago when we did a segment if on you do, how much you want the apocalypse? If you choose to travel to Liberia, stay there. Do you remember when we did the conversation on how much you kind of yeah, want the apocalypse? you think this is because I want independence I'm just day. wondering if these are connected. Like, your desire to get your shotgun and canned goods and see what life is like when we all revert back to the apocalypse yeah. stage, it's a little tied. Correct? I'm not going to lie. There's a part of me that really wants to move to that cabin. Right. And, and you're hoping Ebola is the reason. I'm really, I'm not hoping it's Ebola. But at the same time, um, yeah, I mean, we all have that Independence Day fantasy. At the same time, I think I have legitimate fears here. I have legitimate, I, I, I'm legitimate in being a little bit panicked about Ebola. It sounds awful. Don't touch a friend. Don't touch your friend. And don't eat something. It's dangerous. All right, coming up on Canaan Cup, I think you're going to tell me a story about what else? Being a parent, <laughs> Will's favorite topic, himself. <laughs> This is Kane and Cup, part of the next generation of talk radio on the Blaze Radio Network. Next generation of talk radio, Kane and Cup, is on. I've got two different parenting stories I wanted to share with you this morning, um, both of which tie to topics that we've uh, been discussing, but I just got a text from my wife. Do, period, not, period, tell the recent story. <laughs> oh, no, really? Yeah. So. I haven't heard either, so I. I moving don't... on from that. No. Um, <laughs> no. There is something I want to tell you, and it ties into this Ebola conversation to some extent. Um, now. You're Catholic, right? Or you were raised Catholic. I mean, I know you're atheist, but you were you raised Catholic? Sure. Sure? I mean, I guess for all intents, I wasn't I wasn't confirmed. Are you really going to eat? It's such it's so it's, well, it's disrespecting it's my 10 story. 30. <laughs> this is when I have my second breakfast. You know that about me. I'm eating my yogurt. You are smacking yogurt in the listener's ears. I thought you were going to tell me a story. She was literally leaning back in her chair eating yogurt. I'm pregnant. It's time for my second breakfast. I've been up since six. All right. So listen. I Just tell your story and let me eat my <laughs> breakfast. All right. My youngest son uh, just started preschool. He's going to a Catholic preschool. Um, I didn't grow up Catholic. I know very little about Catholicism, but I'm learning. And St. Francis, I think, um, I guess it's a tradition, the blessing of the animals. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. Oh. Well, the way that's translated in preschool is a blessing of the stuffed animals. <laughs> <laughs> so you bring a stuffed animal to school. And he's, you. This is, you know, I'm making the sign. I guess yeah. that's what you do, right? Um, so that's <laughs> on the schedule. That was scheduled for this week. On Wednesday of this week, I get the following email. From the school. 
Now, you can say that I'm calm. I don't panic about Ebola, and I don't, I don't get very riled up, you've said, about various things. This here, this bothers me. You're outraged? Outrage isn't the right word. Um, this is a rare occurrence when you get unacceptable for me. Heated. We have received a report that one of the students' homes has been infest- infested with bed bugs. No! Yes, we have removed all stuffed animals and play clothes from the room. We're having an exterminator come. There are no signs of infestation in the classroom, but we're taking all precautions. If you notice signs of an infestation or bites on your child in your home, please seek professional assistance. Essie, there are very few things in this world that I have no tolerance for. (laughs) Bed bugs is one. (laughs) No, bed bugs are in a category. It's a broader category than bed bugs. Yeah. Pests. I, uh, I lived in an apartment here in New York when we first moved that was infested with mice. Essie, I've never been so rattled. Never. Sleeping at night, hearing them run under the bed. I'm talking lots of mice. Yeah. We named them. Oh, my God. <laughs> and whether or not it's mice or bed bugs or what? Rats, roaches. Roaches. Scabies. Gross. Gross. Lice. Lice. We've had, we've had lice. I've had dealt with that. Yep child with lice yeah i can't i don't mm-mm, can't deal with this it's so violating it feels so because you feel so um so powerless right i can't do anything about this it's like ebola <laughs> it's not like ebola <laughs> yes it is <laughs> have you ever had an infestation of some kind in your house like this like a like a mice rats bugs of some kind i had lice as a kid because everyone gets gets lice as a kid oh well, that's embarrassing i've never had lice I don't know if I'd have told down the radio. Oh yeah, I had I had lice as a kid. Every um, you know kid in my class eventually brought it into school in first grade, and we had to bag up all my stuffed animals. I cried. It's terrible for three days. Um, but as an adult, no, I haven't. I haven't had any problems. I lived in New York for fourteen years, and maybe saw um a mouse once in an apartment, a cockroach once in an apartment. Yeah, really didn't um, have any problems. And by the way, a mouse is not infestation. Right. I know that. I've, I grew right. up, we, we had a mouse in the house or something yeah. like that. No, an infestation like where they're, they're living with you. Yeah, that's horrendous. It is horrendous. And one of the things that makes, I mean, literally makes my skin feel like it's crawling all over my body. I just cannot stand the idea. So I'm like. I You're mad. I don't want to send my kid to school. I do not want bed bugs. Bed bugs are hard to get rid of as well. No, I hear you can just bring in a beagle. What? There's a dog that comes in and certain kind of dog. I think it's a beagle. It's, it's Roscoe, right? Yeah. Um, Jose, our board operator, is is uh, chiming in and agreeing. There's a dog that you bring in and the dog is very sensitive to bed bugs and can sniff them out. Well, he detects them. He doesn't get rid of them, right? He detects them. But then the, the, the hard part about getting rid of them is finding them because they're, they're microscopic. You can't see them. They go in the walls. They, right. They... So he, once, you've, once you've found where they are, they have a fumigation ways of totally getting rid of bed bugs. The problem is where are they in your apartment? This dog can tell you exactly where they are. Mm. Bring in a dog. Bring in Roscoe. Well, um, the sad end of this story is you have bed bugs. No, I don't have bed bugs. That's good. I'll tell you. I'll come on this radio and tell you if this happens. Yeah. No, the blessing of the animals has been canceled. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think raises some questions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. This is doable, St. Francis, right? I mean, 
<laughs> if the if the stuffed animal is infested with bed bugs, this shouldn't be a problem. Take care of it. I mean, you're a saint. What's the point in a blessing if it doesn't get rid of bed bugs? <laughs> right. It should be like a threshold benefit to the blessing. Are you mad at whatever parent brought bed bugs into the school? I'm not. Because, like I said, well, I've had a child with lice. You know, I, this can happen to anyone. And you can be ignorant of it for some time period. No, I'm not mad at the parent. But Are you going to keep him home? No, you're just going to keep trying to live like a 27-year-old male thinking you're invincible. Mm. And it's not going to happen to me. It's going to be a rough week for you. Yeah. Yeah. When it happens to you, man. Because you can't even sleep in your bed feeling secure. Right. It's like Ebola. I'm serious about the blessing. It's just like, like Ebola. Bless the bugs off of it. Right. 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 Um, all right. You 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 came across some research that you wanted to to put to our audience, and and it's it's fascinating how partisan the partisan divide reflects itself on social media. Well, yeah. To the extent that I believe this, apparently, Pinterest, the app. Slash website, I don't even know, is super popular among conservatives. And Instagram, which I am familiar with, is super popular among liberals. Now, there's a bunch of apps on here um, that sort of span the political spectrum. But the two that they focused on in this in this article are Pinterest and Instagram. Now, I am on Instagram. That I understand. Pinterest, you and I have talked about this. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it does. I actually just got an email on my phone. I was looking at my phone in the break and uh, I got an email from this like home decorating site because I recently renovated part of my house and the whole email is pictures that you are meant to pin on Pinterest. I don't understand. What? So if it's true. What? You want to ask our audience. I want someone because apparently Pinterest very, very popular among conservatives. I want someone in our audience to call in 888-900-3393 and explain Pinterest to me. Because right. you can't. You don't know what it is either, right? Nope. Yeah, Not we really. don't. Here are two, two conservatives don't know what Pinterest is. We're behind the times. But I this know. This is apparently where you're all hanging out. Where It's where what you're all doing with your free time. I want to get in. Explain it to me. Call me. Tell me about Pinterest. I'm going to ask you questions. You're going to explain what it does. You're going to tell me why I need to be on it. And uh, it's it's going to be a little uh, The Audience Educates Kane and Cup. When we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. King of Cup returns now. Sitting there arguing about what we're going to talk about on radio. It seems we'll talk about a Renaissance fair apropos of because, nothing. Because I, I'm watching, we have monitors in our studio, and I'm watching Raj from Liberty Treehouse, who apparently went to this Renaissance. I was at this Renaissance fair. I can't believe it. And accidentally, I'd like to put out there. Um, I went to the Cloisters, which is a, a park in, in New York, sort of a medieval museum park. Does anybody have any yogurt I can eat? You know, when you're when you're seven months pregnant, I'll let you eat anytime you want, on the air or not. I went to the cloisters to, to like visit this park, 
And it happened to be like medieval day. And so everyone was there in their medieval outfits. And, you know, there's like meat on sticks and jousting. And I'm I'm in the middle of this Renaissance fair. It was amazing. And I'm I'm seeing it on Liberty Treehouse right now. That is amazing. I want to go to Judy because Judy has um, Judy in Pittsburgh. Judy has something to say about Ebola. What do you want to tell us about Ebola, Judy? Good morning, you guys. Um, I don't want to freak you out anymore. If you uh, too late. Maybe- too late. Go ahead. <laughs> it's too late. Well, um, nobody's talking about what happens when a person with Ebola, like the guy in Dallas, oh boy. flushes his toilet. Oh what boy. happens to the water? Now, there's body fluids in that toilet water. Oh, my God. And it goes into what? The sewer. It goes into, a, does it go through a processing plant first, or does it mix with other water and end up in a reservoir and then go through a processing plant and then back out to our water? Oh, my I God. Mean, and how long can it survive? Is I mean, nobody's talking about that. And so I think, like like Will said, you know, it jumps from 1 to then 5 and then 25 or whatever. I think it goes from, like, 1 to thousands, quite frankly. Oh, my God. Well, I don't mean to be the skeptic, but uh, your question, you're asking a question that we don't have the answer to. What's, the, what's essentially the half-life of Ebola sitting around in a pool of water, right, without a human host? I don't know the answer to that, but if it's really yeah, well, long and it could survive in a public water system and infect other people, wouldn't, uh, I think we'd see higher numbers in West Africa than we're seeing. Well, no, because they're in West Africa, they don't have sewer they don't systems. Have things like that. There's no flushing. There's no running water there. There's no, you know, it's not. It, it's not as. Um, there's not running water in Conakry, Guinea, and Lagos, uh, Nigeria. I don't. I, okay, I, I won't talk about big cities, but we're talking about like in the outer areas. I mean, they bury their crap. I mean, there's no like toilets. There's no like, you know. I mean, where where these outbreaks are is like really primitive, 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 primitive. Judy, okay, really I, quick, Judy, are you on Pinterest? No, I'm sorry, I don't have an answer. I'm like, I'm an old lady, and I'm really dumb when it comes to like techno. Oh, stuff. according to this article, you are Pinterest's like main user. But oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't get it either. But thanks for calling in. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Judy. This is real, and I am panicked. Let's go to Wendy in Texas. Wendy, apparently you have something to tell me about Ebola, but also Pinterest. Let's start with Ebola. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes. All right. Um, yeah. You know what? I live on a ranch about five hours away from Dallas. We're extremely isolated here, but I'm discussing with my husband and six kids about when we lock it down yes exactly wendy (laughs) i'm with you so what have you guys decided what have you decided well we're talking about getting some gasoline delivered out here and some other things i mean we're already pretty prepared i'm i'm what you'd call maybe a prepper but um (laughs) you said you were going to think about five people get it you're out of there. Yeah. I want you to think about something. By the time the media tells you those five people have it, yeah. how many people did they come in contact with in those 20 days? You're right, Wendy. So, what's your, you know so Wendy, what's your number? You're right. What's your number? Five is too many. One? What I'm reading is one person 100 miles away from you. <gasps> if one person 100 miles away from you has it, then you evacuate that 100-mile radius? Well... That's what I'm reading. That's where I'm, Wendy's at, Will. I'm trying to about it. I'm talking to other people I know about it. This is not the kind of thing you mess around with. Yeah, Will. I got my kids to worry about. You know what I'm saying? Wendy, I'm with kids. you. Will's head is about to explode, but I am no, with you. No, I'm not. Where do you live? How far from Dallas, you said? 
I'm five hours from Dallas. Five hours. And I'm 30 minutes from the nearest town. Well, you're out there but by I'm Lubbock? I'm you, my family, I'm between Lubbock and Dallas. I'm in the ranch country, you I'm know, he- the big ranch country. I'm just, I'm, I'm just figuring out which way I'm headed. I'm headed your way. Yeah, I want to come out, come out to you, Wendy. We have a, we have a business where my husband and my two sons go to this nearest small town every single day to their shop, and then they go out from there. I'm just saying, people from Dallas, people all over the place, stop there. They use the, you know, the local convenience store. They get gas. They go to the bathrooms. They get coffee. I mean, at what point? You know, yeah. we're seven levels away from the guy that has it. Okay, Wendy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Wendy, I'm with you. But I uh, also importantly, I need you to explain Pinterest to me. So while I have you, because we're, we're coming up against a break, explain to me what Pinterest does. Okay, Pinterest is, you know how you see stuff on the internet and you wish, oh, that is so cool. I wish I could remember that. Yes. Oh, I like that. I like the way that table looks. Yeah, okay, so I bookmark it. I bookmark it. Well, this is better. You can have boards. You can have a decoration board. You can have a wedding ideas board. You can have a baby clothes board. You can have whatever. And you you pin all this stuff. Once you have the app on your computer or your phone, if you see something you like, you just tap on it and it comes up, pin it. And then you tell it what board you want to put to. You can comment on it. You can try to remember. It's got the links to the website where it's at. Okay, but Wendy, okay, but answer me this. Is is my board for me or for other people to look at? Both. It's both. It's for you me to remember the things that I like, but also for other people to see the things that I like. It's scrapbooking. You can make a board private if you want to. Oh. It's kind of like that, but it's it's really neat because you can, if you're interested in something, you go on Pinterest and type it in, and here's all these great things all these people have gathered up. You can just like look at it, and if you see, oh, I love that, you can pin it from their board to yours. Can I buy it? You can buy it. You can click on it and go to the website and buy it. Oh. All right, Ebola bad, Pinterest good. I, I still have some more questions on Pinterest, but we'll have to we'll have to put a pin in that for now. See what I did there? I did. <laughs> You're listening to Kane and Cobb. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Will Kane, S.E. Cup R. Kane and Cup Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to Kane and Cup. We've been talking this morning about Ebola, Pinterest. Essie and I are a little caught off guard. Didn't realize we were going to be talking to you so soon. But we also have a conversation we need to have this morning about various legal issues that have uh, popped up in the news this week. From California's new definition of rape to whether or not the Redskins name is essentially becoming illegal. And because I spent half of the morning being a medical expert for you... um, I'm now ready, Essie, to be your legal expert. Wow. We're so lucky. Um, I've got three cases I need to go over with you that I have questions on. Uh, one case, as you mentioned, the FCC, FCC might start fining stations for saying Redskins 
on the air. Now, you well know, a lot of media outlets have started self-censoring. They've decided we're just not going to say the word Redskins on the air. Or we're just not going to use it in print. We're just not going to use it in our outlets. Which I think is preposterous. But they have started doing that. So, Tom Wheeler, the chairman of the FCC, said that they may begin fining broadcasters who do say the name Washington Redskins on air. I guess that, does that apply to us? Can we not say Redskins? Well, some of our stations right now are over terrestrial radio, which is regulated by the FCC. So, Amazing. Um, if he goes with this standard. We could get fined for saying Washington Redskins on the air. You're trying to say it as many times as you can. Well, I'm just wondering, what, are, are we under this umbrella of being fined for saying Redskins? So do you want to know the legal standard here on how the FCC could potentially pull this off? Yeah, this is crazy to me. So, of course, they can regulate obscene material. Indecent broadcast, profane language. You ask yourself, though, what is the definition of obscene, indecent, or profane? And as famously said in a Supreme Court case when it comes to pornography, it's kind of, I don't know, uh, but I know it when I see it. The standard is not so dissimilar when it comes to the FCC. It's um, the average person applying contemporary community standards would find offensive. So it relies on this sort of nebulous community standard. If the average person finds it... uh, Grossly offensive. Here it is. Grossly offensive to members of the public who actually hear, hear it, and it amounts to a nuisance. So there's no. I mean, there's no hard definition. It would be the FCC saying this has now reached the point where the community standard says it's inappropriate. Well, I expect if if these fines actually do come down, I expect a lot of appeals. Yeah, and probably successful appeals. This is ridiculous. You can't just go deciding after. 80 years that suddenly this thing that you're going to say that is on the backs of these players playing on Sunday Sunday night football, you can't just decide that you can no longer say that word out of nowhere. Well, it, it's the debate we've had with this uh, Redskins debate from the start is who defines offensive? What percentage of people? No, but it's beyond. I, no, I get it. But it's beyond that. I, how am I supposed to do my job? Let's say I'm a journalist mm-hmm. and I'm talking about this team. How am I supposed to do my job? That's what their name is. Right. That's yeah, ridiculous. I, I mean, you do what Phil Sims apparently did, which. Uh, yeah. You, and Tony Dungy. You refuse to say the name. Yeah. Th- this is ridiculous. You know, Phil Sims and Tony Dungy can make whatever political statement they want. If I'm a journalist, if I'm the Washington Post, if I'm the New York Times, if I'm the Blaze, I'm calling the team what their name is because that's my job. My job is not to editorialize on what I think the name should be mm-hmm. until the team changes the name. That's what I'm calling them. I think it's a, it's a total. Um, you know, abandonment of journalistic principles to take up this political protest when that's that's not your job as a journalist. Well, that's one side of the equation, right? Whether or not the journalists make this decision on their own, the FCC is another, and I'll be surprised if they can somehow, I don't know. No. I, I don't know how they're going to define a community standard. This isn't going to work. All right, well, we only have time for one more. Uh, do this California adopts yes means yes. We did this on Real News Basically, California is trying to figure out how to curb rapes on college campuses. And one way that they've decided to try to do that is to require folks on state campuses to sign or 
um, give verbal consent before a sexual act occurs, during a sexual act, at any time during the sexual act, um, you know, an affirmative consent has to be given and reiterated over and over again. That's the term, affirmative consent. An affirmative consent. So you have to keep saying, yes, I want this. Yes, keep going. Yes, I'm into that. Yes, you're you're okay. Well, theoretically, you can also give a nonverbal consent. I don't, a, nod a nod or something, step right. towards someone. Silence is not a consent. Here's what I like about this. We just want to talk about the politics of it. What I like is that California is attempting to solve the rape before it happens. Most colleges and most legislators treat rape on college campus as if it's inevitable. It's going to happen. And so what we're going to give our resources and energy to are the crisis centers and the hotlines afterwards so that you can get all the resources you need to deal with the fact that you've just been raped. And, of course, they systematically disarm all of the students. You can't have any weapons. You can't defend yourself. But there's a blue light. Just go call us. Maybe we'll come and prevent your rape. Maybe we won't. What I like is that California is trying to prevent the rape from happening in the first place. But it's not an effective way to do that or like a good a good legal way to do it, is it? I think it's terrible. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've seen people joke. What does this create for a standard? It's please sign here, here, mm-hmm. and here, and uh, initial here. And after that, we'll be good to go. Uh, by the way, Essie, this week, in response to this, there's been a new app developed. I saw it advertised. I saw the article come out. It's called Good to Go. No. Yes. And two parties go to their app and they can click, yes, we're good to go, uh, or thinking about it still, no. or not good to go. This, by the way, is capitalism responding is the to future. the situation you present to us. Present to it. Um, so sad. By the way, somebody else tweeted me. Um, I mean, is how does this change the conversation? How do you like your affirmative consent, big boy? <laughs> oh, my God. But if you have to give affirmative consent, by the way, and the new law in California also says it can be taken away at any time. But, I mean, I would assume silence is not consent. Does a retraction no, of consent, does that have to be right, verbal? Right. It's basically saying one party can change their mind at any time. No kidding. Uh, what what I don't like about this is that, of course, this presumes that the problem with rape is a lack of communication. And that's just not always the case. Plenty of women in the midst of a rape say, no, please stop. Don't do that. The rapist doesn't really care. Um, so I think that's only treating a, a small part of the problem of rape. And two, I don't know how this is enforced. I mean, it's still your word against his, exactly. his word against hers. It changes the. It doesn't change that it analysis, that equation at all. You're right. It's still pitting two people's word against each other. But what it does is it changes the burden of proof. It changes the presumption yeah. of innocence or guilt. Yeah. Essentially, I think now the 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 offender, the accused, has to prove that he had affirmative consent. How do you do that? She said yes. She nodded. Um. No, I didn't. No, I didn't nod. We, I said no. We pre-negotiated in this contract. See. But I have approval on good to go. How often is that going to happen? Never. I think this makes legislators feel good like they've done something, but it's it's really ineffective. I'll say it again. The only way to help curb rape on college campus is to let people defend themselves. I can't even have pepper spray on my alma mater's campus. As is most things. As most political debates go with you, the answer is arm them. Well... <laughs> Uh, wouldn't wouldn't you say that? I, I mean, how do you deal with there's evil in the world? People are going to do terrible things. I'm always going to be outmatched by someone bigger than me. A criminal is going to be a criminal, whether I put up an imaginary line of demarcation or have him sign a piece of paper. 
So wouldn't the natural, your natural inclination to be, well, let me give you something to help defend yourself. Yeah, it wouldn't be, let's, uh, as we have, the parties advocating for this law are often the same parties that suggest we do not want you, the government, in the bedroom. Well, this directly places you into the bedroom. Well, that's another thing. This is so illiberal that it sort of boggles the mind that Jerry Brown in California is like the architect of this because it is so contrary to the liberal ethos of get out of my private life, get out of my bedroom. Conservatives are the one consistently injecting themselves into the bedroom if you listen to the left. This is California in your bedroom. Yeah, it creates a, a, by the way, it it, it offends so many of their sensibilities. Burden of proof, reasonable doubt, uh, government in the bedroom. And by the way, this is for college campuses, right? These are rules that must be enforced on college campuses now have an extrajudicial, extra criminal justice system, heightened standard of proof beyond the criminal justice system. As though these guys, if they committed rape, extra, yeah. weren't, I mean, wh- we have laws against rape. Yeah. These guys every, can go in to every jail. state, in every state. Yeah. In every state. But but these colleges are consistently more interested in mitigating blowback and reducing the bad PR they get than in actually solving this problem. Actually solving this problem would mean allowing pepper spray and other kinds of self-defense mechanisms. You solve the problem. I promise you. All right. Could your favorite sitcom characters afford the home they're living in? We're going to ask that very important question when we come back on Kane and Cup. This is Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Nessie Cup return. Welcome back. Got some good legal advice from lawyer Will. And medical. Oh, and earlier today. Sure. And parenting advice. You're just so hard to dishing kind of, it out. No, it's, it, it makes it hard sometimes. To be you? Well, just to know about everything. Like when somebody says, uh, Are you an expert? I just have to say, like, <laughs> on what? And then, and then it's like, from there. <laughs> Like when they book me for television, too. It's like, oh, is this a medical segment? <laughs> no? Oh. I was, um, that's funny. I was, this week I was supposed to be on CNN to talk about politics, and I got bumped, of course, for round-the-clock Ebola news, right? No. And I was like, I could talk about Ebola. <laughs> <laughs> you Not thought that, like, you thought that 100%. Yeah, You're like, really? Totally. Who are you bumping me for? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Some doctor? <laughs> I mean, I can't talk about it, like, scientifically, but I have opinions. Right. I have opinions on Ebola. That Let are, me tell you. That I think are interesting. <laughs> I think they're interesting, and I think people would agree with me. Mm. Um, no, I, I have this other, this other great story. Have you ever watched your favorite television sitcom? Which is inevitably in this, like, fantastic... They all live in this fantastic apartment. It's really cool. And you're like, oh, is that New York? Because I'd like to live in New York. <laughs> right. right? Is that what L.A. looks like? Because I'd like to live in that house. Um, but wonder, well, how, how does that waiter afford that apartment? 
right? Or that like out of work actor afford that apartment on this sitcom? Friends is the most famous example, right? Yeah, Friends is right, exactly. So Friends, got, they were in this amazing apartment. All of which were bedroom. barely employed. Yes. A two-bedroom. So Monica and Rachel's apartment from Friends is this massive two-bedroom apartment. Wall of windows. Yeah. A huge wall. A balcony. A terrace. Oh, right. They had a terrace. Right. Um, it was a walk-up. It was a walk-up. But it always it, they never seemed out of breath. So I'm guessing it was the second floor <laughs> the, or the third floor tops. Tops. Um, and, of course, Joey and Chandler lived right next door in the, in the lesser apartment, but still a good one. Still a good apartment. Now, meanwhile, Monica was a chef, and Rachel was a waitress. Trulia, you know this website, Trulia? Real estate website. Yeah, I know well because I was just looking at, at houses. It's, it's a great app, great website. They decided to take a look at some of your favorite sitcoms and the houses and actually answer whether or not these people could afford to live in those apartments or houses, which is great. So they, they, went, they went with friends. And they speculated that in today's dollars, Monica as a chef would earn $82,000 hmm. a year. Maybe she was like Mario Batali. She wasn't. Oh. She wasn't. Uh, and Rachel would have earned 15000 if she worked 40 hours a week as a barista, which she did at the coffee shop at Central Park. Later, when she enters the fashion world, Rachel would have earned about 57000 in today's dollars. Meanwhile, their apartment was worth an estimated $3.5 million mm. <laughs> and would cost $5,000 a month. You've looked at apartments in New York. That sounds about right. I don't think they could get that apartment for $5,000 a month. No, there's no way. There's no, no way. Nine, ten, maybe? Yeah, that apartment in Friends in today's dollars is easily a nine. Yeah, that's a good 9000 a month apartment. Yeah. Two-bedroom Big, big, big living room. Big living room, full kitchen, huge windows, terrace. Not to mention in the West Village, which is one of the most desirable neighborhoods in this city. Right. With the least amount of, the the fewest amount of properties. Right? Mm -hmm. Super tiny. Super exclusive. Um, That's a good one. I've got some others. Um, Which one do you want to hear? Sex in the City or Seinfeld? Seinfeld. Why did I ask, of course? Uh, Jerry's apartment on the Upper West Side was undoubtedly a dude's apartment, though Jerry kept it neurotically clean. This is from this article. The median price for one bedrooms, actually, he lived kind of where you live ish mm-hmm. on the block, Upper West. A block or two away. Yeah. A block or two away. The median price for one bedrooms in that area today is 2300 a month. His apartment was like no frills. Yeah, and I don't, a walk up. His didn't look unrealistic. His, well, actually, his had an his had an elevator. Yeah, his didn't look unrealistic. It looked like a New Yorker's apartment. Yeah, so they're saying it would have been twenty three hundred a month, and he would be making about thirty thousand a year as a stand up comic. No, come on, he was already like playing a somewhat famous comic in the show, right? I get. I guess they're saying in today's dollars, Jerry'd be raking in about thirty thousand dollars as a stand up comic. Hmm. I mean, yeah, you're right. He was like on Leno. He was about to get a show at NBC. So maybe he made a little bit more. But they say, according to Trulia's math, this apartment would not have been affordable. Jerry would only be able to afford on his salary $775 a month, which puts him well below the $2,300 a month. Um, my my bigger question is how Kramer afforded the apartment next door. That's a, 
That's an excellent question. Kramer, Kramer, Kramer did nothing. Kramer was on rent control for sure. Kramer did nothing. He'd been on strike at H&H for like 10 years. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because they didn't celebrate his <laughs> religious freedom. That's right. <laughs> um, on Sex in the City, Carrie Bradshaw's apartment. Don't act like you didn't watch that show. You've seen that show. <laughs> I really, I really, I, I, can't, I don't know what her apartment looks like. Well, it was a studio, okay. but a large studio and an alcove studio. Right. So a little separation for her bedroom. She had a huge walk in closet and it also um, it also doubled as her office. It was on the Upper East Side, which is actually a fairly affordable part of town. There's a lot on the Upper uh, Upper East Side that that you could afford. However, the uh, they say the rent for her apartment would have been two thousand dollars a month and taking into account Carrie's columns her book deal, her freelance work, she'd pull in about $85,000 a year. And so uh, they say less less affordable. And actually the actual apartment that they used for the show just went on the market in the West Village for $9.6 Like the outside of the apartment. Hmm. Yeah. So... wonder how inflated that is just because it was Carrie's. Because apartment. it was hers. Well, I'm sure it was because, they, you know, they do those... Um, those tours, Sex in the City tours, mm-hmm. where you get on a bus and you go to all of the places that they went. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the next time you're watching your favorite sitcom and thinking, oh, let's move to New York. Look, they've got it made. She's a struggling writer and still has this great brownstone on the Upper East Side. What you need to picture is a mice, a mouse infested. Picture Will's place. <laughs> 600 square feet of no sleep. Yeah, less affordable than you think. I mean, not shocking that Hollywood would alter these these sets and alter reality to make it look a lot better than it actually is. Sell New York the way it is. But uh, I don't know. Do you watch How I Met Your Mother? No. You got that one too? I do. I don't Tell watch that it. show. Tell me it though. I don't watch that show. Uh, the apartment is located above their favorite bar. It's the joint home of college friends Ted Marshall and Lily. Um, fairly spacious two-bedroom on the Upper West Side. They say not affordable with all of these people's um, incomes. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't really know this show, so I can't. I can't really relate. All right, um, I didn't do this. This is not my doing. We have a list of 104 things that are more likely to kill you than Ebola what? on Cane and Cup. You are listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. One to usually mock or deride other cultures or customs. I have a very healthy respect for the way other people live. But when it comes to a health crisis like Ebola, Here we go. I'm, a, like, I, I'm a little more judgmental than I would normally be. This just out of Liberia, our, um, one of our producers just sent this to us. Liberia paper. Two Ebola victims have been resurrected. Locals fear they are now ghosts. 
Okay. Okay. So uh, you can go on Breitbart.com and read the rest of the story, which is amazing. But this is my point. I'm dealing with several checks and balances that have to happen before Ebola comes to my house. And this is the first. People in Liberia who think that people who have died of Ebola have now been resurrected and are ghosts. Or people in Liberia who don't get medical attention because of superstition. Or people in Liberia who lie on um, their their airline forms and get on planes and bring Ebola over here. Now, it's not just people in Liberia. There are checks and balances failing all over the place. One of them was at the Dallas hospital when they released a guy who has Ebola and came from Liberia. And you're telling me to calm down. It's all going to be okay, Essie. Oh, I think that panic's working well for you. I feel better. You don't have Ebola yet. You should respond. <laughs> right. The panic is working. That's right. I, uh, You know what? I feel better taking this a little bit more seriously than just shrugging it off and saying, oh, science, science, science is cool. Mm-hmm. But our board operator, Jose, found... I guess, what is evidence for your side of this argument? Well, it's not my side of the argument. No, actually, Will. Oh, Will's, Will's side. Will's. I, it's I, Will's side. Yes. I, I was actually leaning towards uh, your side of the argument um, until Me? I saw- uh, Until you yes. read something. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> according, to, according, <laughs> according to the Boston Globe- Until you read facts. <laughs> well, I, I don't know how factual it is. Okay, I, I tell us. According to the Boston Globe, there are 104 things, or maybe more, uh, that you should fear more than Ebola. Let me just stop you before you read these, because I will stipulate, I have a lot of room in my head for fear. I can accommodate 105 things. Ebola might just be one of them. Okay, what are are some of the 104 things that I should be more scared of? I hope bed bugs are on the list. Okay, so all of us should have been concerned about our walk to work. Walking to work. What? You should fear that more than dangerous. Yes, I don't walk to work. It's probably worse that I drive to work, right? Yes, uh-huh. uh, they actually. <laughs> but here's something that you do that you do do. What? Um, hunting. You should fear hunting. I don't fear hunting. I have gun. I have a gun. I can shoot at stuff. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Uh, for Will, shark attacks. Ah, I told you. Shark attacks are more probable than Ebola. Yes. Well, that says everything. No. But you put yourself right in shark-infested Somehow, waters. you think you just won an argument. <laughs> Somehow you think you just accomplished something. I did. I won a previous argument. I didn't win this argument. <laughs> I, won, I won an earlier argument about why you decided to swim from one shark-infested island to another shark-infested island in Hawaii mm-hmm. voluntarily. Mm-hmm. The, the article literally has a shark as the main picture. <laughs> <laughs> What else should I fear? Uh, other 104 more likely things more likely to kill you than Ebola. Okay. Cheerleading. Cheerleading. Awesome. Wow. Bunk bed accidents. <laughs> Very Step brothers. <laughs> High cholesterol. I'm good. Now you're just preaching. <laughs> and chewing tobacco. Oh, interesting. Will used to dabble in chewing tobacco. I quit. I know. Yeah. I said used to. Yeah. Calm down. Proud of that. (laughs) Kind of. Calm down, paranoid.
I'll pass well, along thanks. the article during the break. Thanks, Thank Jose. You. This does nothing to alleviate my fear. It just gives me 104 new ones. That's um, all that just happened. <laughs> <laughs> you want to stay on the topic of listicles? Yeah. Okay. Here we have a quiz to determine oh. just how much Essie Cup hates things. Oh. People. People, yeah. Actions. <laughs> I've got gonna, a long list. We're going to run through a few of these and see how many apply. This is from BuzzFeed. It's check all you hate. You can play along at home as well. Now, this will determine how hateful you are as a person. I'll oh. mention something. You tell me if you hate it, okay? <laughs> if I hate it, okay. That's right. Let's move, let's move <laughs> this through. This sounds stupid, but I love it. Let's move through this. I, I think this is a quantity game. I think you're going to have a lot of check marks here. Okay. Go. All right. Do you hate it Yeah. when someone walks really slow? Oh, yeah. That's awful. And I, and I sigh audibly when I'm passing them. Like, I bet you do. <laughs> do you hate it when someone walks really slowly while blocking your path? Yes. I, I've, I've also um, broken up people who do like a chain link <laughs> across the sidewalk. I've walked through them. <laughs> while sighing really loudly. Yeah. <laughs> when people walk really slowly upstairs in front of you. you no. That? No, I give people a pass on the stairs. When people walk really slowly downstairs in front of you. That doesn't bother me either. Really? No. When people stand on the escalator. Um, when I'm wanting to go around them, I hate them. When I'm standing on the escalator, it's fine. Right. Completely <laughs> contextual to yourself. Yeah. When someone delays the elevator by running on it at the last second. Yes. You know what I say? I have the same conversation with my head in my head every time. So you think your time is more valuable than mine. So the door's about to close. It's halfway across. You see a hand stick out. Yeah. It reopens the door. Yeah. And they jump in, and you hate them. I roll my eyes, I sigh audibly, and I think to myself, so you're a person who thinks your time is more valuable than mine. I actually hate that as well. Yeah, it's Um, rude. When someone takes an elevator to the second floor. Also hate that. I do too. (laughs) I also hate that. Get on the stairs, you lazy SOB. We all have places to be. i got to get to 14. (laughs) You had to go up five stairs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. When somebody cuts in line. Of course. Everyone everyone hates that. Everyone. When people are walking in front of you and then stop suddenly. I hate that. I hate that. And I say, what are you thinking? And sometimes, sometimes I even say, oh, stop right there. Well, (laughs) I'll tell you this. Before I moved to New York, I didn't have as low tolerance for these things as I do now, like stopping like that. It's because the sidewalks in walking in New York are like obeying the laws of traffic. You don't just you wouldn't stop your car on a highway out of the blue. You wouldn't be going sixty and hit the brakes and wonder why everybody behind you is so rude. You wouldn't yeah. merge just willy nilly into a highway. People come out of stores in New York onto the sidewalk and yeah. then just stop. Yeah. But I've I've said this for a while. I think New York makes you kind of a hateful person. Mm-hmm. It really does sharpen your angst for society. To live in such close contact with other people and have to navigate them all the time. When pe- do you hate it when people get on the train before letting others off? Yes. Oh, man, that's a huge sin. I hate that. I also hate when people get on elevators before everyone's gotten out. Yes. That's rude. And it's just it 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 it. it it's contrary to like the laws of physics. Like, let people out and then you can get on. Exactly. That's the problem here. You're not, I mean, how are you just going to work? If we don't get off, you can't get on. Right. Do you I hate, hate it that. when someone leans their whole body on a pole while riding the subway train? Yes, because, and people who don't ride mass transportation won't understand this, but you have one place to put a hand. Yeah, I'll lean on that thing. One, pl- oh, you are, a ha- you are, it's you funny. are hateable. 
when people take up a seat with their bag. Yeah, but a lot, I mean, that's a no-no. I don't see a lot of people doing that on a crowded train. When people save seats at the movie theater. No, that's, I mean, that, that, that's okay. You're allowed to do that. When someone says, excuse me, for any reason. Why would I hate someone for saying, excuse me? I just figured you would. That's psycho. <laughs> no. No. When someone parks poorly. I don't hate a person who parks poorly, but I laugh at him. When someone takes forever in a single person bathroom. Oh, that's awful. I'll knock. I'll jiggle that handle. You'll knock? Yes, I will. I'll jiggle that handle. I'll let you know there's someone else in line, and now I'm getting impatient. When someone says, are there any more questions, and then someone else asks a question. Oh, that's the worst. In, like, meetings and conference calls. Yeah. Like, you can tell people are getting ready to end, and one guy has to prolong it and ruin it for everyone. All right, the last little quick hits here. When someone asks you, how are you? I, I don't hate that, no. <laughs> laughter. No. Children. Depends on the children. The laughter of children. Depends on the children. When people are around. <laughs> I generally don't like it when people are around. Last one. Do you hate people? <laughs> <laughs> I think I have to say yes. Like, if I'm just going based on the numbers, I have to say yes, I hate most people. <laughs> I think we settled this. All right. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. I don't sugarcoat this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good. All right. A little more uh, expertise coming from you on Ebola, educating me on my lack of panic when we come back on Kane and Cup. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back. I'm Will Kane, along with SE Cup. Michael Lee on Twitter says, All right, how many of those 104 things that are more likely to kill someone are more likely to kill them in Liberia or Sierra Leone? He's suggesting once this place is like Sierra Leone, you won't be so concerned about your walk to work. You'll be concerned about Ebola. But also, I mean, the way Ebola kills you is so much worse than some of these other things. I mean, it's just so graphic and gross and like, oh, I, I am not an alarmist generally. I'm also not a prepper, although I have a healthy sense of respect for preppers. I'm, I'm not though. I, this is not in my character actually to panic about about things. I just think everyone's being a little arrogant and relaxed about something that's pretty darn serious. Adam Apocalicious on Twitter says, no need to panic. Ebola is spread by bodily fluids like the common cold. Just avoid it like colds. Oh, wait. Exactly. Exactly. The doctor, the OBGYN on Twitter, who has been hounding me, said, there's no reason to scream fire in a crowded theater, but no reason to moderate an unknown as well. Right, like you don't know how bad this could get. You don't know. You don't know. Joe in Virginia knows. <laughs> Joe, you have some scary details about Ebola? <laughs> well, yeah, there's a couple. Um, I was on the CDC's website because you guys were talking about it. I wanted to find out a few things. Apparently, Ebola virus can live outside of a human body one to two days. 
Now, just imagine the scenario. It's a sick person's got, a, got Ebola. They go to the hospital with their symptoms. They've been sneezing, eyes watering, whatever. They touch that handle of that door just to get into the building. How many people in the next two days are going to touch the handle of that door? And it's not like soap and water is going to kill the virus once it's on your hand. You touch your face, you touch yourself, your pores, and the, the virus is in you. Now, listen, I'm happy to be corrected if I'm wrong. I, I think soap does kill it, right? And chlorine does kill Ebola. Um, and now the fact chlorine that, may, but I don't think soap's going <laughs> to. I thought I read somewhere it did, but I'm not going to hold myself out as an expert on that as much as I'd like to. Um, it, uh, but even then, even then, how many people are going to you know, run from that door and run to the bathroom and wash their hands after opening that door? Right, right. You know, um, you're in the hospital. You know, most people are, you know, they get hungry, they're going to go to the cantina, they're going to eat. Now that Ebola virus is all over their hands, all over the, the countertops in the cantina, and it can go from one to a million in days. Well, uh, another fun fact I read is that um, uh, Ebola can survive in the semen of a healthy man for two months after he has been cured of Ebola. So if you're infected with Ebola, you are made healthy. It will remain in that bodily fluid for another two months after you have gone, I assume, home and are healthy. That's frightening. Yeah, that is frightening. Um, and people like you are frightened, Desi. I'm frightened. It's not affecting my day-to-day life. Like, I'm not, you know, stockpiling Cipro. But I am I am frightened. And again, like, I'm... I'm, it's almost become a reaction to people like you who are like, oh, just calm down. You're such a fear monger. You're so alarmist. Now I'm getting more and more vocal about my panic. I was actually okay before people started telling me to calm down. I was like pretty reserved about my fears uh, on Ebola. But I'm getting more and more vocal about them as more people are telling me, just calm down. It's not that big a deal. Here's all the things you should be worried about instead. Now I'm just resentful. I'm resentful, and so I'm I'm proud of my panic now. Uh, Jason, D.C., we only have about a minute left, but Ebola, you have something on Ebola as well. Yeah, hey, real simple, guys. I don't understand the incompetence of the government, but what they need to do is set up an Ellis Island airport so that everyone coming from a particular region goes through, and report, when they get off the plane, they go right to a CDC type of center where everybody gets checked out as they're leaving the plane. But if you have multiple entry ports, you're just opening yourself up for a pandemic to start to spread in ways that you can't control. Because what happens if somebody lands in Tulsa, Oklahoma next? See, Will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I completely agree. If if it were up to me, there's a lot of things that I would do to shut this thing down. Like most things, you have the answer. I always have the answer. Might I not too, be right, way, but Kat, I have it. By the way, Tea Party Woman on Twitter <laughs> told me um, that she doesn't usually like people who claim they know everything, but in my case, she's going to make an exception. Nice. Congrats on that. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us again this morning. You stay tuned for Chris Salcedo next on the Blaze Radio Network. You're listening to Kane and Cup on the Blaze Radio Network.